today as many uh, moms will be celebrated. Uh, let's continue to be praying for the different types of mothers. We have a variety within our community, some that have uh, experienced loss, uh, some still desiring to be mothers. And so let us be that, that loving balance that seeks to care for a variety of women uh, throughout our community. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that we get a chance to celebrate you. Lord, your word is clear. It helps us uh, know the beauty of a God that loves us at the same time reveals to us uh, how, how uh, selfish our hearts can be. But you extend grace to us that allows us uh, to turn from our own ways and choose you, and we are thankful for that. Use your word today, Lord, uh, to allow us to, to grow more in you as a result of understand, understanding the beauty of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I uh, originally am from Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, there is a restaurant that I used to go to with my family on a day like today. On Mother's Day, uh, our family would go to this spot called Old Country Buffet. Mm. If you don't know about Old Country Buffet, the new kind of version of that is uh, Golden Corral. Right. That's the updated version. And and if you get there at the right time, you get there first thing. It's still empty. It's actually so empty that this long strip of trays is where all the food goes. But they haven't brought it out yet. You see in the back. They're making all the recipes. You got the mashed potatoes. You got the corn. You got the cornbread. You got the meatloaf. All these different things are being prepared in the back. But pretty much right when you walk in the door, there's this train of workers coming out the back, filling up the buffet, filling up the buffet. All these recipes that have been prepared, that have been planned that the main chef is making sure it's the same way every day. There's a, there's a system to all this. It all gets rolled out within a two to three minute period. Today, family, we are going to be in the 40th chapter of Exodus. And this chapter is actually a recipe for worship. It's a number of, it's going to list all the different things that contribute towards a tabernacle, which is going to be a place where the people of God will worship the Lord, but also a place where God dwells. Now, I'm going to need you to stick with me because there's a lot of descriptions, a lot of recipes that are going to be mentioned, a lot of elements of the tabernacle that are going to be covered. And it's a recap of things that we've been going through kind of this last season as we've been going through Exodus. So join me in Exodus chapter 40. We're going to start with verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying on the first day of the month of excuse me, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting on the first day. It's only four words, but it helps us learn something about this structure called the tabernacle. It helps us learn that that this Structure is not something that's massive, that is going to be taking up acres upon acres. Actually, we learn just by those four few words that on the first day of the first month, this tabernacle can be created. 
We learned that it's not going to take a week to put it all together. It's not going to take a month. It's going to actually only take one day. And we'll see later on in the scriptures why it only takes one day for the people of God to erect this ornate, this detailed structure that God has given plans for. In verse 3, and you shall put in the ark of the testimony and you shall screen the ark with the veil and you shall bring in the table and arrange it and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle, uh, tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. You'll notice that there's a a screen that's constantly being uh, set up around each item. That's because there's there's we we aren't all supposed to have access to this beautiful holy place God is creating. He's actually wanting each aspect that's being built and erected for his glory to be hidden from the people. This is something that's intimate. This is a place of worship, and and every person can't just come in and delight in the Ark of the Testimony, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. People can't just come in and experience. It's actually going to be different layers to you experiencing God, and there's going to be actually one person who can only go towards the most intimate layer. And so as God is saying, I want you all to create this. I'm going to use Moses as the champion, but each person is going to contribute, but not each person can get in there and see what's going on. So I'm going to put a screen around it. Uh, If you are new with us, we've been going through uh, this beautiful book for some time. And you might be saying, man, there's going to be a lot of descriptions that are going on. Why isn't the pastor going into each element? Uh, Well, thankfully, uh, we've tried to take time to explain each element. And we probably spend one or two Sundays going through each element. So I would encourage you, if you're new with us, please go back, listen to some of our sermons that have been through this series uh, as we're excited to unpack each element. Verse 9, then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become the most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as a priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them. And as you anointed their father, uh, as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout all the generations. I love, uh, there's this website called gotquestions.org that I encourage you if you are uh, studying God's word and sometimes you're just like, huh, I'm curious to know what that means. It's a good kind of springboard into going deeper. Uh, and so one of the backgrounds they gave to, to anointing is that of, of shepherds. 
And shepherds would be out in the field with their, with their sheep. And occasionally, because the shepherds go through all types of different terrain, bugs and insects would actually begin to attach to the sheep, get into the sheep's ear, and would cause extreme disease or could even kill the sheep. So what the, what the shepherds would do is take oil, and they would rub the oil on the hair of the sheep near their heads. And that oil would allow no bugs to attach. It would ultimately protect the sheep through no matter what type of terrain they went through. And after time, this same language of protection was associated with God. That his blessing, his anointing, his covering would be upon his people. That no matter what type of terrain his people are in, (laughs) it's not stronger than the anointing of that of the Lord. And so we see here that these men are set apart for God's holy, set apart for God's holy purpose to be used within his tabernacle. God puts his blessing upon them, but he also puts his blessing upon the structures as different elements, different furniture, different things, even within the tabernacle are being anointed and consecrated for his holy purpose. James also speaks of, of, of anointing. He says, chapter 6, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, family, we know that the, the oil in and of itself isn't the healing agent. It is that of our Lord, our Lord God. But it's a reminder for us that God sets apart his people and he will care for them, protect them, and even heal them. Let us be a trusting people to that end. Amen? Amen. In verse 16, we see that uh, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses, uh, Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark. And he put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see, Moses was was a beautiful instrument. He was not the maker of all of these things, but he was the the orchestrator. Uh, Doug Stewart says that that he was what you would call your quality control supervisor. He made sure that all the T's got crossed, all the I's were dotted, and that everything that took place in the tabernacle would be pleasing unto the Lord. But uh, there, there's something I, I don't know if you, I want to share with you guys a little bit about me. I, I really enjoy shopping. <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? Uh-huh. Mm-mm. I really enjoy shopping. 
Uh, I, I love when I can catch a great deal at something like a Best Buy. And it's like, man, that TV I wanted, it's on sale. And then you get the sale plus the Mother's Day sale and then the clearance sale. It's like, ooh, all right. So I know in that spot, I probably got the TV like 700 other people at all the Best Buys all over the nation. But then there's something unique about a place that only has the thing that you want and nobody else can get it. You know, there's only one kind of Southern Fires barbecue sauce. <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't getting that in Toledo. You know, that, that, that's a Pino's pizza. It just, there's some others out there, but you, we even get to the point where we compare and say, oh, no, the Bucharest down there ain't as good as the other. Like, there's, there's that thing, you know, where it's, you can only find it in that one place. Family, the, the Ark of the Covenant is the one place within all of the world that forgiveness of sin is experienced. You see, the Ark of the Covenant is, is, is God saying, I'm going to give my people instruction. I'm going to give you rules for how to do life. And the people were then to create a box, put the Ten Commandments in the box, on top of the box was this lid called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where, where, where the high priest was expected to experience God. Where he thought that God would be, God's presence would be resting. And so it was at the mercy seat that the high priest, once a year, would take the blood of a sacrifice, sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And that sprinkling on the mercy seat was to forgive the high priest's sins and all the sins of the people. See, forgiveness of sin is a very unique trait to our Jesus Christ. Actually, it is only found in Christ. And family, it was only found through the tabernacle during this time. And so when we see God saying, when we, when we look at how God has orchestrated even the furniture, the furniture is to remind you of a forgiving, loving God. Every item laid out in great detail so that you would remember, my sin has been forgiven. And then Paul continues with that same idea in Romans, in Romans chapter 3, we see him lay out that, that there is only one, one whose blood will satisfy the Father. It's called the, 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 the propitiation. It's, called, it's, it's, it's what appeases God. It's Jesus' blood appeases God so that we would never have to do another sacrifice. So we would never have to have another high priest going into the temple on our behalf. Actually, now Jesus serves as our high priest. Family today, that, that, that reality of there still being only one place to find forgiveness is still true. It's still only found in Jesus. And while there will be many temptations, many imitators, many uh, that try to attract us and gain our attention and our worship, don't be fooled. There is still but one. The, so what is described next uh, is the evidence that the sacrifices was pleasing unto the Lord. Verse 22, he put the table in the tent of meeting 
on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and he arranged the bread on it before the Lord. As the Lord had commanded Moses, he put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and he burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. After all the inspecting, after all the preparation, after the recipes in the kitchen getting ready, Moses finished the work. Let me ask you, what, what, what is the way in which you look for approval? When you've been working hard on something and, and, and you finally bring it to completion, in what way would you want approval? Maybe some of you want, want to hear those words of affirmation. Good job, good job. And that's what really feeds you. Maybe some of you really want to be uh, uh, blessed with a gift. Hey, we, we saw what you did, really pleased by you. Here's something we were just thinking of you and wanted to say thanks. Let's see, what, let's see how God shows his approval. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's how God shows his approval. He says, you just, you just finished. You just completed it in the way that I have designed. Now I can bring my presence to fill this place. I approve. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle Throughout all the journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from, a, from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journey. Family, now do you see why, why this this temple, why this tabernacle was created and, and God said, I need you to be able to build this in a day? Because when his presence lifts and he's ready to lead his people, they got to be ready to go. God says, okay, now follow. Now, okay, now the cloud is lifting. I'm moving and you can't say, well, hold on. We need about two weeks, Lord. You know we got to take down that ark now. No, you, 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 you have to be ready to go, and God is going to lead them on a journey continually. But, but, but the beautiful thing is, while this cloud is scary, and this cloud represents a glory that is far more powerful than any other people, the people are also familiar with it. 
Because this same cloud is what led them when they exited Egypt and were in the wilderness. The same cloud protected them from Pharaoh. The same cloud would meet Moses at the tent of meeting and would give Moses guidance for how to care for the people. The same cloud was on Mount Sinai. And so now when you see that cloud that was, that was around Mount Sinai coming to fill the tabernacle, you know that a holy God is dwelling in your midst and that you can go experience him and experience the forgiveness of sin. But I love that, that this scripture, even these last verses, kind of check us on Moses' role and really all of our roles. I mean, let's look at Moses for a second. Brother went up against Pharaoh. This brother was the one who, when the people were grumbling, they were grumbling with Moses. Got us out here with no food. Wrong with you. When Moses is up, talking to God, communing with, with the Lord and, and wanting to, 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 to be seeking on behalf of the people, he comes back down and they've created a, a, a golden calf. Talk about a smack in the face. You know what I was just up there doing for us? And this is what I come back to? You know, the, and then God says something in these verses. He, he, he basically says, yeah, I know all that you've done. But where is it saying uh, that Moses was not, in verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So now... Even though Moses has been a tool for God's use to bring the people to this point, this is he no longer has access to the tabernacle that he just built. Why is that? It 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 is it is God showing us that this is now his house. This is now where he dwells. And your importance and your significance really becomes really small when God takes over the house. I mean, you get it. You get it. Even even if you contract with an amazing builder, the builder is, is doing everything that you asked. They have erected the beautiful home that you and your spouse have dreamed about for years. They give you the keys and they say, hey. We did it. It's done. You move in. You put up your furniture. You set up everything. And then two weeks later, the builder just walks back in the house and goes to the kitchen and grabs some turkey out the fridge. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. What you doing? You see, you see, at the point of me now taking over my house, <laughs> the relationship didn't change, bro. You can't just walk in here. You see, and, and, and now there's a way in which the people have a reverence for this holy God's presence filling the place that not even Moses can just come in. Family, let that be a, of, a, of an encouragement to us. 
that God can use all of us in mighty ways. I was so humbled when I read this because maybe I elevated Moses a little bit too high. But I love that we get a great picture of what it looks like when God fills the house. And now his presence is there and what he seeks to do changes the way you do life. I experienced that when I came into the church as a as a young person. Why can't we why can't we run in the church? People popping me in the head. Boy, you better have reverence for this room. I experienced that when I when I came into church and there was slang that I was using in the midst of of the church and I would say things and they're like, whoa, uh, come here, let me talk to you. That's 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 inappropriate. Let me tell you why. Because God wants to use your tongue to be edifying people. So when you out talking about your friend's shoes and dogging people in in the church. You're not representing the, the God that has created you and remade you. So when God fills the church, and I, and I thought that we needed to be about one vision as a child, and I thought that the whole church needed to be about youth ministry only, and what's wrong with them if they're not doing youth ministry, but then I see, wait, God is filling this church, so he has a vision that's greater than mine. Whoa. It's not just about Leon. It's about what God wants to do here. Humbled me. Humbled me. And I'm blessed to be in the midst of many of you that have been humbled and that walk humbly with the Lord and that have had your own passions for the church, have had your own desires for the church. And actually, you when you hit that door, you say, wait, I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of what God is doing. So while I still care about this thing passionately, I join a movement of people that are trying to humbly submit to God, and that is more important than even my own mission, a collective mission that is led by the Lord. I believe he's filling this place. (laughs) I believe he is here. Let us continue to walk humbly with our God as he leads us all. Amen? Amen. And so, family... Verse 40 kind of brings to an end the beauty of this God who's loving his people, caring for his people. Doug Stewart kind of says it like this. He says, uh, once built, the tabernacle became the symbol of Yahweh's presence among his people and his glory cloud atop the tabernacle, a further symbol of his presence and also of his guidance. Interesting. That we, we end the book of Exodus with this God that's saying, I am with you <laughs> and I'm going to lead you. But we started this book September 20th, 2015. <laughs> so I know it would be a little bit of a, a big stretch for me to expect that you remember all the main points. I know, right? What's wrong with that? Come on now. (laughs) And while I know you've been patiently digesting in what the Lord has provided, because I think every week there has literally been a new aspect that the Lord has opened our minds to, exposed our hearts to, and refined us in. Um, I I also wanted to do like just a, 
uh, a few points of recap to encourage you as you leave saying, Lord, we were just blessed by a great time of being in the book of Exodus. Uh, here's some major takeaways. I was looking at a, a Old Testament survey book by this guy named Hill and Walton, and, and I uh, added some things to some of the points that they had. So there's five points that I just want to encourage you in. I want to encourage you in the supremacy of Yahweh over pagan deities. That uh, the Exodus is a redemptive event for ancient Israel. The Mosaic law as a religious and social charter for Israel. Yahweh is merciful. And the presence of God symbolized in the tabernacle. The first one, the Exodus is a redemptive event for ancient Israel. Exodus chapter 6 verses 2 through 8 say this. And say, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant, my covenant, my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the growing, groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery, from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. I got I, we got to have that be one of the key themes. If you if you don't remember a lot. Well, no, you do remember a lot. But then you're going to have these of these themes. That's a major one. His covenant with his people. I didn't forget it. I'm, 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 I'm making sure I institute it with you all. I will redeem you from the slave, from slavery, from the hand of your oppressor. I was, uh, I was in a, a fraternity in college, and uh, part of the fraternity kind of fraternity is like a group of guys. It was started um, because on predominantly white institutions, uh, there was not. Uh, there needed to be some support, some encouragement, and some unity among blacks. And so uh, our fraternity, uh, but, but somewhere along the way, the process of entering the fraternity got a little wonky. What does wonky mean? I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. So it got a little wonky. And so I find myself pledging this fraternity, and part of the process is these guys will, you know, hey, they've been in the fraternity, now you're trying to be in it, and they'll, like, you know, have you doing some silly stuff. So, you know, they'll call me at 2 in the morning saying, be at the library at 4 a.m. ready. What does ready mean? I don't know, but I'm supposed to be at the library. So I go there at 4 in the morning, nobody comes, I'm alone at the library, and then they just laugh at me. They call me at, you know, 2 in the morning, hey, I'm hungry. I need to, get, to go get me some Wendy's, make it happen. Okay, you run out, go get some food, bring it back to them. My girl needs a ride, man. Can you go get her? Great. All right. But then something happens. Then we complete that whole process, 
and we arrive. We now have a celebration where I am now peers with them. We're all on the same level. So that authority that they once had, they don't have anymore. But the day after the party, they sometimes forget that they don't have that authority. So then they call me, hey, Leon, I'm hungry. And then I say, hey, bruh, Wendy's is down the street. (laughs) My girl need a ride. Let me get Uber, the app for your girl, because I'm not going to get her. I now knew because I was no longer under their authority, the power that they had and the influence that they had has shifted. So whether they acknowledged it or not, I knew there was a new me. There was a new way in which I was operating. You see, once the people of God are saved from the bondage of slavery, This new covenant that they get to operate in with a holy God that loves them dearly, that protects them, that says, I will be your God forever. They now are a new people. And we will see, unfortunately, the temptation to go back to the old ways, but they're no longer under that authority of Pharaoh. He's been conquered. Have have you been tempted at times to to give in to some of that, those old past ways, that that, 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 that Satan, that, that flesh, that world will sometimes try to call you up as if you are still in bondage. But you and I know we've been set free. We've been set free. We're under a new authority now. <laughs> and that, though, that those sinful ways no longer have any hold any strength, any authority on us. I was supposed to say that point till later. Oh, well. Number two, the exodus is a redemptive event for the, the people of Israel. Also, though, the first point, I'm sorry, I meant to mention the supremacy of Yahweh over all pagan deities. Basically, when, when you look through chapter 7 and 12, God is trying to expose any idol that might be out there has nothing on me. I'm God. So what you want to choose? You want to choose some sorcery that man may have? It won't work. You want to choose power over the natural world? It won't work. You want to use animals? What? I can use the sun. Make it dark. Make it light. I'm God. I'm in control of all things. And the sooner you realize that, Hopefully, the sooner you will be humbled, the sooner it will bring you to repentance to say, that's the type of God I want to submit to. That's the type of God I want to love. Supremacy of Yahweh exposes all idols for what they are, powerless. Third point, the Mosaic law as a religious and social charter for Israel. It's a it's a a defining written document that gives the people of God clear parameters for worshiping God and for caring for one another. Exodus 19, five through six says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Obey my voice. Keep my covenant. It's interesting. We, we see actually a, a connection uh, to this in the New Testament. The only time you'll hear of the law of Jesus is found in, uh, in, in Galatians 6, 2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does it look like for a people of God to bear one another's burdens? Well, scholars kind of agree that that, 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 that takes you back to Mark, which is basically uh, Mark 12, which helps us get that first we love God and then we love our neighbor, which sums up all of the Old Testament uh, uh, mandates. That you get, you get the beauty of the, of, of the law summarized in Jesus saying, first love God. And love your neighbor. And what that looks like is to bear one another's burdens. Number four. Yahweh is merciful. Chapter 34, 6 through 7 says this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Do you remember the, the incident that, 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 that flows before this? Do you remember the, the calf incident? Do you remember the, the way in which the people of God turned their backs on a God who had saved them from captivity? But yet he forgives. And yet he is merciful. So when you're thinking of, 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 man, I'm trying to summarize Exodus. And somebody tells you, you've been in Exodus for a year and a half, two years. Tell me something you learned. You should be able to say, man, that God is merciful. That he is faithful. And lastly, the presence of God is symbolized in the tabernacle. Then the cloud, in verse Verse 34, which we read, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But that we family get a chance to experience that as we come together now, as we join together in holy worship, as we fight to be present here, both physically and mentally, God is filling this place. He is here with us, dwelling with us. And now no longer is is the place of the Lord simply a building. He actually lives within us as well. And so when we come together, we remind ourselves of the beauty that God offers us. It's interesting to see this book. This book starts with them asking, God, where are you? We are in pain. We are in slavery. We are in trouble. Where are you? Redeem us, free us, guide us. But it's great to see where this book ends. It ends with them saying, God's here. God's presence is with us. And now it's time for us to leave as he guides us. We go from them asking for freedom to them now being led. It's a great, great book. And I'm thankful, family, that that our pastor... uh, was the one who spearheaded us reading this together. 
We hope that you've been been humbled by the, the journey of the people of Israel. We sometimes can open up the Bible and start looking at it and be like, man, they was jacked up. <laughs> but I hope that it will, it will help us all kind of expose our hearts. And we can see ourselves as different people within this story. And not that we're, not that we're the people of Israel, uh, but we are the new people set apart for his chosen purposes, where his covenant is extended to us, where he is our God, loves us dearly. But the beauty of this is now it's not a, it's not based on ritual. You see, if you still go through the motions of ritual like the people of Israel. You, you can potentially still not be saved. You can come here. Sing out. But that Romans three verse says that that his blood satisfying and appeasing God's wrath only happens when you believe it by faith. Only happens when you believe it by faith. What they had in the people of Israel is that they walked in and they saw the animal. They heard it dying. They smelled it as it burned. They saw the blood sprinkled. All these things that were sensory that told you, okay, my sins are being forgiven. My sins are being forgiven. We believe it by faith. We believe that Jesus' blood satisfies God's desires. That it appeases the Father. And by faith, we enter into a new relationship. Let that be our reality, let that be what we share with others, and let people not simply hear about this Jesus or even go through the motions of doing life in Christianese and not have to be, not have to wrestle with where is your faith? It's in that of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for this book. You remind us of the slavery that we've been saved from and that we were slaves to sin. But we've been redeemed. And Lord, the the previous authority, whether it was our, our internal sin, the ways of the world, Satan, whatever was trying to, to, to take a hold of our minds, Lord, you have given us a new mindset. We've put on the mind of Christ. And so now, Lord, let us live in light of that. But God, there may be some here that are going through the motions. Would you reignite their faith? Would you uh, spark in them uh, a desire to, to just draw closer to you? But if they've never had that desire and realize now that it's an outage, would you meet them where they are? Would you allow people who love them uh, to encourage them in your word? Would you allow them to realize that That it doesn't matter if they are 15 years old and lived one way or 81 and lived one way. That they can start afresh today by having faith in you that what you accomplished on the cross pays for their sin. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.